Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 527, NFL Conference Championship Preview. back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going? Yeah, things are going pretty well. Getting myself ready for a championship weekend and live golf drama is back. So really, oh, really God. fulfilling week for me. Is it uh, related to the event you're going to have in Tucson this year? No, it's related. You didn't see it at all. It's related to the interaction between Rory McIlroy and Patrick Reed. Yeah. Oh yes, in, I did see. Du- like Reed didn't like Reed throw a tea at him or something. Yeah, I think <laughs> kind of flicked it, I guess. But yeah, in there in Dubai, and uh, Patrick Reed on the driving range went over to shake hands with Rory McIlroy, and Rory McIlroy definitely saw him coming, so he sort of got on the ground to look at his track man as I guess his excuse for why he wasn't going to get up and acknowledge Patrick Reed. It's a good move. They're like, I'm busy, so this is why I'm not going to outright just blank you. I'm going to pretend that I'm doing something else and didn't notice you. Rory's caddy shook hands. What's that? I was reading my email. I wasn't paying attention to you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Rory's track. Uh, Rory's caddy shook hands with Patrick Reed, and then Rory refused to. And Pat, Patrick Reed took umbrage with this and then tossed his tea well, like flicked it at Rory McIlroy because it has like the his live golf team on his tee. So nice. he felt like that was a, he thought it was a funny joke is the way he described it. Rory McIlroy said he didn't even notice the tee, that that was just told to him afterwards. And Rory McIlroy's reason for why he didn't want to shake hands with Patrick Reed was because he was served papers on Christmas Eve for the lawsuit that Patrick Reed has launched. And so he, Rory McIlroy said he didn't know what... At Rory? He, he's part of the lawsuit. Yeah, Rory McIlroy. So he was subpoenaed on Christmas Eve. And okay. uh, Pat, uh, Rory McIlroy said he didn't know what world Patrick Reed was living in, where he thought he would get subpoenaed as part of a Patrick Reed lawsuit on Christmas Eve and then want to shake hands and pretend like everything was normal. Man, nothing like two people earning millions of dollars a year with probably over a hundred million in their bank accounts, having a little trace. I think if Rory McIlroy wakes <laughs> real first world problems. I think if Rory McIlroy wakes up tomorrow with only a hundred million dollars in his bank account, he's gonna be suicidal. <laughs> so yeah, I mean look, you can get where Rory McIlroy is coming from. Patrick Reed's defense was he didn't know when the papers were going to be like when Rory McIlroy was going to be subpoenaed that he didn't really have anything to do with that. It's probably believable, but it kind of, it's representative of just how scummy the whole live golf thing is that you're subpoenaing. The subpoena is being delivered on Christmas Eve. Like it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of like when Olivia Wilde was uh, handed her papers, the divorce papers from uh, Jason Sudeikis, like, on stage at an event for her movie. <laughs> yeah, it's similar. Although it wasn't Christmas. I think the Christmas Eve element, you know, you're at home with your family and the doorbell rings and it's someone like getting you involved in a lawsuit. I think that's worse than just... At least it's not the Jelly of the Month Club. 
I think that's worse than the uh, than just being delivered papers in a live event. But yeah, it's not. Live Golf continues to sort of insist on not handling any PR situation particularly well. But maybe that's purposeful. Maybe that's the mas- mastery of their PR. Maybe. <laughs> Although three of their make everything look like a firestorm. Three of the <laughs> that's a good three move. of their most senior executives resigned recently. So it's basically just down to Greg Norman. And <laughs> I don't know. Hey, he did wonders with his shark apparel. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's true. He knows how to brand himself. I don't know if, but yeah, it it, it will be interesting to see how, I know you hate discussing Liv, but it will be interesting to see. And we're definitely going to get you to the event in Tucson, so... You're going to have to. Oh, I can't You're wait. You're going to have to. I can't wait to. I'm going to deck out with like a live hat, live socks, live shirt, shorts. Uh, I'm going to. We're going to get you a press pass for the live golf event. But can't wait. I'm interested to see their second season because the first season, obviously, you got so much attention because of the controversy. And it's a certain moment in time. People will just lose interest in the controversy. They may or may have already. I mean, you did after about three days, but it, season two will be the interesting test then of you'll either see them become semi-successful as a golf tournament or maintain some level of notoriety as a result of the controversy or people will just completely lose interest because they'll realize it's not really the world's greatest golfers and it's not really golf events that they have too much interest in. But now that we have a little live update out of the way, Great. Do you want to move on to <laughs> the things you will really be looking forward to, which is this weekend's AFC and NFC championship games? Yes, I am very excited and very disappointed that I have a hockey game at 3 p.m. and then another one at 6 p.m. So right in between both yeah, games for me. Because what it's what a five for me, it's one, oh, yeah. one and probably like one and six or one and five. So you'll miss, yeah. You'll miss the, and there would be another one if we win the late one. So I'm gonna purposely <laughs> you're gonna throw, lose. You're gonna throw game. the game. I'm gonna throw the game. If if there's a betting market out there right Which now, there isn't. just <laughs> let you know, <laughs> the gougers are gonna lose the semifinal playoff. If you game. had to throw <laughs> the game, how would you? If I had to throw yeah, the game, like how how do you I, think you could do? Der- I would just ask to play defense and then. Just let the guy right by me. <laughs> How many times do you think you'd have to do that to guarantee that you lost? I'm assuming it'll be a close game, you know, so if I can give them two or three nice, easy chances, they get one or two. And I just, I know the players that will score, so I can make sure they go by me. Okay. All right. <laughs> I like this because you've set yourself up either way. If you now lose, you'll claim that you intentionally threw the game. If you yeah. if you win, you'll say that you, you couldn't force yourself to do it. Yeah. No, actually, I, I think we'll probably win no matter what because the rest of our team is pretty good. But I, Maybe I just won't try and score. Okay. Because when I do try and – well, actually, no. Because when I do try you and don't. score, I can't score. <laughs> so maybe I'll try and score so that I can't. Yeah, that makes sense. You might you might figure it out by next year. You'll be in the NHL just because of this new mental approach to the game. Just really mess with yeah, people. You'll be the new Wayne Gretzky just from 
suddenly taking this relaxed, I'm not trying anymore. But yes, let's get on to the NFC and AFC championship. How would you like to start at it? Like, Chronologically? Alphabetically? Uh, uh, anticip- anticipatorily? I think they're <laughs> both equally anticipated, I would say, pretty much. Well, I think for you, I, I would assume you are anticipating one more than the other. Uh, I mean, honestly, not necessarily. I, I think they're both really good games, so I'm looking forward to them both. Wow. Niners Nation should, should just revoke your card at that point. I'm, a, I'm just a, you know, I'm a lover of sport. This is, this is, this is why I'm here. So I don't, I've had big discussions actually with people when I've been out watching the games over the last few weeks. You get a lot of people in bars who just, there are a lot of people who just hate teams they're up against for no other reason than they're, they're the, oh, like, okay. the opposition. I don't get that. And then there's a lot of people who hate teams that are just really successful because they're successful. Like, you know, the resentment towards Tom Brady. Like the Patriots. Yeah, like Tom Brady, I don't get. You know, there are people who have basically virtually no respect for Tom Brady, which I think if you like American football, you could not be a fan of his um, and you could not want him to win because you have other, you know, another team that you support. But I don't get the sort of total lack of respect. Like, if you enjoy the sport, you have to admire people who do it at an extremely elite level. Yeah. Tell that to Jets fans. <laughs> there, at least, I can give, if you've lost at his hands time and time again, like, I think you still have to respect it, but I can get there being some kind of resentment. But I don't get is what I don't get is, is like, if you're just. If you can't tell me some sad story about how Tom Brady could have ruined your year, then I'm not, I don't understand why you wouldn't really like Tom Brady. Like, for example, as a 49ers <laughs> fan, there's no reason for me to have a particularly strong opinion on Tom Brady. Never played him in the Super Bowl. You know, there's no, there's no moment where it's like everything was going well until Tom Brady stepped in. So. What about, are you going to be bitter when he goes to the Niners next year? And, and ruins and the Super ruins Bowl. And ruins their chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might change my opinion of him slightly, because then I won't have to respect his greatness. I'll be disappointed at the, the moment, which I got to kind of watch it firsthand. But yeah, it's, it's the same. The thing that annoys me the most is Patriots fans who have, like, really hate Eli Manning. Because I... You, you had so much success over that period of time. Yeah, you won five Super Bowls, six, right? right? <laughs> yeah, six, right? Yeah, six. I, you had so much success over that period of time to, to be like, oh, well, we could have had eight. I get it a little bit with the perfect season. That one kind of sucks because you do the put yourself into the history books in a different way. But fundamentally, you won so much. Do you really care? Like You can't be heartbroken over those two Super Bowls that got away from you. But okay, let's start chronologically with the NFC Championship game. Which Okay. I'm this is a this is I've had a few of these in recent weeks. This is a real heart versus head moment for me, I think. And I'm for all people living under a rock, it is the Niners versus the Eagles. Yeah, in, <laughs> yes. Obviously it, in, in Philadelphia. Philly. Uh, so according to reports, around twenty percent of tickets sold were bought in California. So there's an indication that there should be a decent chunk of Niners fans there. But 
I, well, I heard, though, that Philly's closing the airport on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So they're not going to allow them to I'll come drive. <laughs> that would be a very Philly move. Actually, the Philly move would be they keep the airport open, but they just put people like like at the front of the airport to just beat the shit out of <laughs> Niners fans as they come up. Like if any Niners fan steps off a plane with a jersey on, it just instantly gets his Everyone ass who gets off a flight from San Francisco. <laughs> Doesn't even matter. It could have just been your connecting flight to Philadelphia, but too bad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah I, it's a little bit of a heart versus head because you you see how good the eagles were last week and how good they've been over the course of the season how good they are on both sides of the ball and it feels like a really tough matchup and from a head perspective the strong arguments i could make for the niners are jalen hurts admits that he's not fully healthy so he's outright saying not 100%. You saw last week, they probably didn't use him in the, exactly the same way that they did when they were at their best in the regular season. They didn't have to against the Giants either, so it kind of leaves some question marks. You know, if it's really season is going to be over, how much are you willing to risk Jason, Jalen Hurts at that moment in time? Second argument would be, yes, they were super impressive against the Giants last week, but how good were the Giants? So how much can we read into their dominance against a team that maybe wasn't all that good? I, I mean, at, at the very least, you can say their defense is nowhere near the caliber of the Niners. That's a fair, honest statement that no one is going to yes. argue. <laughs> then you can do some comparison. Obviously, the Eagles played the Cowboys twice this season. They won both games comfortably. They scored a lot of points in those games, but the Cowboys also scored a lot of points against them. So you could say that the Niners' defense kind of shut down the Cowboys more efficiently than the Eagles were able to do so. So if even if you're going to give the edge to the Eagles offensively, maybe you have to give the edge to the Niners defensively. And then from an offensive perspective, this might be, you know, you're going up against what's rated the number three defense in the NFL, but maybe it's as a good matchup for the Niners or as good of a matchup as you're going to get against a kind of top five rated defense, which is they're not great at stopping the run. That's they're much better. Their secondary is way better than their ability to stop the run. They're something like 19th against the run, whereas they're number one uh, in as a pass defense. So that's a nice matchup for the Niners. They obviously like to, put a lot of pressure on a quarterback, which is a concern for Purdy, but kind of nice for the run game. It might open up. It means they don't set the edge very well, which could mean it could be exploited by Shanahan. And if there's any other weakness, it's sort of around the linebacker position where the middle of the field might be open. And again, from a Niners perspective, that's where they do a lot of the damage through the through their pass game as well. So if their run game is able to be efficient and then if they're able to get, you know, Kittle involved across the middle, Christian McCaffrey involved across the middle, those are the positives. Yeah. So just to clarify the, so rushing yards allowed, the Eagles are 18th in the league and first against the pass um, versus the Niners are first in rushing yards allowed and 20th against the pass. So almost identical flips yeah and uh 
and then the other positive so the negatives would be that weakness similar to the eagles whose negatives are niners we talking negatives about? niners now. negatives obviously you've got brock purdy you got a rookie quarterback going into a situation where he's undoubtedly going to be facing a lot of pressure do you know real quick i'll pause you the last rookie quarterback to make it to the super bowl uh shoot terry bradshaw none because it never happens really eddie yep okay well that's records are there to be broken right uh so yeah you've got a rookie quarterback in a situation where he's going to face a lot of pressure there's no doubt about that now a positive maybe out of that is he faced a lot of pressure against the Cowboys. They also, you know, he was under pressure, I think 47% of snaps, and he managed to kind of get through that reasonably well. Maybe got a little bit lucky, but fundamentally didn't make any terrible mistakes. So that's encouraging, but this is going to be, you know, I think the Eagles have something like 70 sacks this season. So you know he's going to face pressure. It's a double-edged sword, that's the reason why they don't sit the edge as well. So it, that is what opens them up to a weakness through the run game. But this could be when we see Purdy unravel in the biggest moment of his professional career. And then this is a Niner secondary that particularly in the second half of the season has been picked apart at times by teams far worse than the Eagles. And it would be a little bit, it's a little bit worrying to think at just what this Eagles team could do. And you could see a situation where the Niners basically can't stop the Eagles. And if this is an offensive battle, just I don't think the Niners can keep pace. They're not built to, you know, win a game 38-35. So those are the concerns. And then it's just about how you kind of try and balance those. Yeah, so... It's it's a very very close matchup. Like these are two pretty similar teams that are just stacked across the board. Um, you know, when you look at the defenses, both the D lines are are pretty stacked. I think the Eagles have the advantage on the D line, even as good as the Niners are, and especially Nick Bosa is. The the Eagles have five players with over seven sacks, and I think they're like four sacks away from the. NFL record for sacks in a season. I mean, they're just, their front is, is crazy. But part of that is because they run up scores on teams and teams are forced to throw the ball more. Um, so, you know, their, their pressure percentage actually isn't as good as the Cowboys was, uh, but they're getting sacks because they're putting teams in tough situations. So, you know, I think both have great D lines. You step back. I think the Niners definitely have the advantage at linebacker. And I think that's, one of the one of the areas where the Niners can win that game is the play of their linebackers. You have Greenlaw and Warner who are just like uh, unbelievable. Like there was a great comparison to them uh, going back to Navarro Bowman and um, oh crap, who was the other linebacker in with Bowman? Willis. Uh, Willis, yeah, and Patrick Willis, yeah, and like how similar their season is compared to the season that they went to the Super Bowl with them in 2011. Yeah, I don't know if I want that comparison too much because the last time I watched Navarro Bowman play in an NFC Championship game, 
his his legs were facing in the wrong direction yeah. at a certain moment. So I don't I don't know if yeah. I necessarily want that comparison thrown around. <laughs> but I th- I think that that is the biggest strength in the Niners because not only are they great at run stopping, they're great at defending. You saw that last week. They're able to stay with tight ends, receivers. There's some great plays where uh, Fred Warner's staying with CeeDee Lamb in coverage. You know, this not typical for for linebackers. So I think that's going to be a major X factor where they're going to have to play the RPO against Hertz and be able to run Hertz down, you know, stuff stuff the middle if they're going to run it, but also be able to cover tight ends with, you know, like not as much thinking about it, having to react super quickly. So I think that's an advantage. But then you step back to the secondary, and I think the Eagles have the advantage there. They're they're ball hawks. I mean, first in defense, passing defense, they've got 17 interceptions. Uh, and you know, Purdy hasn't thrown many interceptions, but I don't think he's seen a secondary like this. And I don't think he's seen a front four like this. So, um, you said Purdy played okay against the Cowboys pass rush, but he had no TDs and he was under 200 yards, probably his worst performance you could say, uh, of his young career. So maybe with an even better pass rush and even better secondary, you could see some turnovers and, and some issues. I agree with you. I think this is going to be his worst game. I think unraveling is a strong term. Uh, Daniel Jones unraveled. I don't think Purdy will unravel. I think he will just not play particularly well. Um, (laughs) I'm going to go with the Eagles here. I I think it's very close, and I'm kind of with you. I would rather see the Niners win. I mean, I don't particularly love the Eagles. I don't like Sirianni. uh, You know, I just, as a Giants fan, I just don't want the Eagles to win. But they're at home. I think that's going to be a slight factor. It's going to be, you know, a very, very aggressive environment. Probably going to be cold. Could be snowy or rainy. Who knows? Um, So I think that's going to be an issue. But I just think the Eagles are going to go into this knowing that they have such a good secondary that they can afford to push up and play the run and let Purdy try and beat them throwing the ball. They did let Barkley get, to, I think it was like five yards per carry last week. So they, their their run defense isn't great, but I think they know that. And I think they're really going to try and play up front against the Niners and let Purdy try and beat them passing. And I think they believe that their D-backs are good enough that they can play single coverage on Debo Samuel, who hasn't gone over 60 yards in eight of his last nine games. So he's got nothing left in the tank. Oh, he's done. Might as well write no, him off. Come on. The Debo hatred. I mean, and they're top five against tight ends uh, with like the worst rating of a tight end. So if you can cover Kittle. Yeah, but who are the tight ends they're playing against? You know, you have to do some analysis like the tight ends in their division aren't exactly spectacular. So you can six, six of the games that they're playing, they're not exactly facing elite tight ends. You know, like you had to put there's a tier system for tight ends, too. Right. And Kittle's probably tier one overall i mean overall he definitely is from the when you throw in his blocking ability but his threat even as a you know as through the air i think he's probably still tier one they've not really faced that caliber of tight end so it does help a little bit the other concerning fact is this is only brock purdy's third road game in his nfl career so And he's, he's had some, you could say the Thursday night game against Seattle 
was a somewhat hostile environment. That's when that division was still up for grabs. Seattle, one of the loudest places to go and play. So he passed that test with flying colors. So at least it's not as if his two road games have been like the Cardinals and, you know, I don't know, Tampa Bay. And he managed to get through that. He's been sort of tested there. But yeah, it's another factor to consider for a rookie quarterback. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, with the Niners defense, they are spectacular against the run, but this is a very dynamic run game the Eagles have, you know, where you have Hurts who can run just as well as the running backs and and they're not Possibly. afraid to run the RPO. Possibly. I think he will. We'll see. He so he ran, so the the statistics are I think he ran he on average in the regular season had about eight designed runs per game. And against the Giants, he had nine yeah, designed runs. Did you runs see, did see those runs, Frank? Because I saw those runs. That was him gently jogging to the sideline for eight yards. You know, those were... Hey, it's a designed run, so they're not afraid to run them. So they must think he's healthy enough to be able to no, run. No, or they, he had a good enough look where he knew, hey, I can pick up five yards here easily. You know, so there's... <laughs> is he going to be able to do that against a team when he thinks... If I take off here, I might get absolutely destroyed. There's there's a balance there. I think he will. We'll see. I don't, I don't think he'll be used in the way that we saw him in the regular season. The fact that he's openly saying he's not 100%, I just don't. You can, you can go through numbers, like average number of times, but the reality is that was a blowout against the Giants team that we, we even discussed may have given up about midway through the second quarter, and he was... I mean, they were, if you want to be, if the Eagles wanted to pay a compliment to the Giants, is that they probably had some opportunities to leave a little in on Jalen Hurts a couple of times, you know, when he's about to get to the sidelines and you say, hey, just hit him, take the 15 yards, we're getting destroyed anyway, maybe just hit him. And they may as well have laid a picnic blanket down for him. And, you know, there was no interest there in, in kind of, reminding Jalen Hurts he was playing a, a contact sport at any point during that game. So what's then your what do you what do you think the over under is going to be on the amount of yards Hurts runs? Um I'll say under what do I think that the over under will be or what do I think the if I had to say what he'll go under? You. Cuz you're saying he's not 100%, so how many yards do you think he'll I think run he'll for? be under 45.5 yards. So he averages 34 a game. So he'd be above his average. <laughs> but these averages sometimes are a killer. We're talking about a playoff game where you've... I'm joking. That's postseason. I'm joking. That's postseason. <laughs> but, you know, you got to lay it all on the table. So I think... No, he averages 50, 51 yards I think yards if the Niners said the that they could season. keep him to like under 40 yards, they'd be pretty pretty pleased with themselves. For starters, it's eliminated the possibility of like Jalen Hurts taking off for a 50-yard touchdown, right? Which is would be one of the, just the kind of back-breaking plays that you could have in there. So, look, if he sneaks in for a 15-yard touchdown, it's not going to be a killer. If you put them in the red zone and they're probably going to score anyway, and that's the method through which they score, that's not heartbreaking, but if you're in a but if you've suddenly got him just, you know, flying down the field from inside the Eagles' half, that's a different different thing altogether. The other issue for me, I think, is 
well, I mean, what we're kind of talking about with with Hertz, how dynamic he is, and I mean, I think he's going to play how he normally plays. That that doesn't mean he's going to feel a hundred percent doing it, but I think he's still going to. I don't think they're going to limit the play calling because he doesn't feel a hundred percent. I think they're going to run that risk. The Niners haven't. It's tough to try and get a comparison on someone who plays similar to how Hertz plays. The only one that the Gi- the Giants, the Niners played this season that you could maybe argue does a lot of RPOs would be the Falcons and Marcus Mariota. Well, no, and Justin Fields, but that that, that was, was the first. And it was game, in a monsoon, Justin Fields. so it's yeah, it's tough. It's that I I didn't want to go that far because it was the first game and a lot was different. But I mean, even this was only the sixth game, so still looking very far back. Kyler Murray didn't play in their first matchup against the Cardinals. Who's Kyler Murray? <laughs> it's hard to remember which games Kyler Murray played in this season because he played in so few. He definitely missed their second matchup. I feel like he played in their first. No, he didn't. But I mean, and and Mariota did decently, but he is nowhere near of the level. And I'm not saying like, oh, look, they lost to the Falcons, so therefore, I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying that Mariota actually had one of his better games against them and was able to run and throw with the RPO pretty effectively. So maybe, maybe that is a weakness for them. I don't think it necessarily is because they're like, like I said, their linebackers are so good that they can no, cover sideline to no, sideline. I think it is a weakness. Obviously both of these teams have a weakness against the run and it's because they, the, the type of pressure they get up front, it means they're not setting the edge properly. So it is a double-edged sword, but as much as it's a weakness for the Niners, it's a weakness for the Eagles as well. So both teams will go into this, I think, feeling like I think both teams will rush for over 200 yards. You know, I think that's going to. Who's going to rush for 200 for the Niners? Well, combination. <laughs> As 180 from McCaffrey Amy, and 20 he, from Elijah Mitchell out, and one McCaffrey from Debo. sat out today with a uh, calf injury, which obviously you saw during the last game he was having kind of activated through the like in midway through the second half and then seemed to become more effective after he went through that treatment. I don't think there's any real cause for concern there, but it's not ideal with Christian McCaffrey to have him carrying an injury. But I, I think the Niners will run the ball effectively. I think the Eagles will run the ball effectively. And ultimately I think this game will come down to the turnover battle. And you can either have Brock Purdy begin to have make mistakes or not get away with the mistakes that he's been making, which you could argue in the first two playoff games, he kind of got away with those mistakes. But like, you also know that Niners are definitely going to turn the ball over. Like they're going to force turnovers once or twice, just because that's what they do. So, you know, but it's also what the Eagles do though, too. The Eagles do it different. I think they were third in interceptions. Yeah, but they do that. (laughs) It kind of goes back to your original point though. I'm less worried about, they're forcing a lot of interceptions sometimes with teams chasing a game on deep plays where you're just throwing into double coverage because you kind of have no choice. The Niners are going to force a turnover when you're first and 10 on their goal line. You know, it's a different nature. No, but it is a different, you know, it's a different kind of turnover. I think the Niners have the edge in that respect in that when they will force the turnover will be, will be different. But look, you can keep... I don't know if you're trying to reverse jinx because in the end you're going to bet on the Niners, so you want this explosive game from Devo Samuel, but 
he said he's comfortable going into this situation because the Niners are used to playing in one of the louders, loudest stadiums in the NFL. I don't know if if Debo Samuel's been to Levi's recently, but I don't think it could be classified as one of the loudest stadiums in the NFL. So, yeah, according to the turnover battle, both teams actually have 17 interceptions this year. And the fumbles, the Niners have forced 20 and recovered nine, and the Eagles have forced 22 and recovered 10. So pretty similar in a turnover battle as well. Again, we don't know the statistics of when those turnovers are being caused and things like that. But I I, I agree. I think both teams will run the ball well, but I think for me it's going to come down to the passing game. I think it will be a slightly higher score than the Niners are used to. And I think that because of Purdy being inexperienced, I don't think he's bad, but I think Hurts at this point in their career is a better passer and a better offense suited to passing against a worse passing defense than Purdy will be with the Niners against the Eagles passing defense. So I think that's going to be what ultimately pushes the Eagles over. And I'm going to take, I'm going to have to, you know, one of the (laughs) storylines though, that kind of gets overlooked, like it's easy to focus on Purdy's inexperience, but Jalen Hurts is inexperienced too. In almost any other situation going into this game, the focus would be on an inexperienced Jalen Hurts versus fill in the blank, more veteran quarterback. But because he's getting the only, basically the only situation in which he has an experienced edge, the focus is entirely on how inexperienced his opponent is. But, you know, if this was Kirk Cousins against Jalen Hurts, we'd be talking about like, well, Kirk Cousins at least has the edge and when it comes to experience. Cousins maybe not the greatest example because not a well, losing yeah, it. Not a ton of playoffs, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like there's this is yeah. It's not it when you look at all the discussions surrounding the game, there's very little talk about the fact that this is Jalen Hurts, who also doesn't come with a wealth of playoff and big game experience. Yeah. He probably has a little more big game experience in college. Uh, yeah. And they did, Eddie. They did face off in college. I'm sure you've seen, but maybe some of our listeners, they met back in 2019. And uh, this was when Hertz was playing for Oklahoma. And he beat Iowa State's Brock Purdy 42-41 to in a quarterback shootout. Jalen Hertz had 273 yards passing, three touchdowns, 68 yards rushing and two TDs. And Purdy went 282 for five TDs passing and another TD rushing. So pretty uh, typical Big 12 <laughs> matchup <laughs> where both teams just <laughs> see who can score I guess, last. But you but, had to say Purdy uh, was probably more pleased with that outcome because I'm guessing they were the underdogs. Yeah. So, and probably not by just a point. Yeah, they were uh, five and five and three at the time, Iowa State, and uh, Oklahoma was yeah, seven so and one. So that was a closer game than expected, I guess. But. Yeah, I'll pick the Niners. I'm not, I wouldn't bet my life on it, but I'll pick the Niners. I will predict the Eagles, but I will both bet and, and root for <laughs> oh, the <dear>. Niners. <laughs> I'd rather lose money <laughs> supporting a team <laughs> oh, well, than potentially yeah. win. And I'm also going to pick Debo Samuel over You should do like yards. over 200. <laughs> The way you've just insulted him over the course of this season and this episode, he's 
this might be a one-man mission to take the Niners to the Super Bowl. And now we get on to the AFC Championship. Yes. The number one seed Kansas City Chiefs at home against the three seed Cincinnati Bengals. Some calling them the villains of the <laughs> NFL. The Bengals, you mean? The Bengals. Yeah, yes. I think I just struggle with their attitude. Everything about them I should like. You know, Joe Burrow's a really nice story, having to transfer in college, kind of coming out of nowhere to then become the number one overall pick, basically, you know, wouldn't have been projected to be that until pretty much right up to until until the draft almost. And then to have the success that he's had right off the bat, including overcoming a pretty gruesome injury and with a team yeah. that's failed consistently over, you know, throughout our lifetime. Yeah, As a franchise. Our lifetimes. Yeah. I I should want them to win. Like it's a nice story. But just their the way they carry themselves and their attitude, it's just yeah. kind of unpleasant. It just makes me dislike well, I, them. Yeah. I, I mean I mean part of it is they they continue to play this nobody believes in us card, which I don't know where they're getting this. They went to the Super Bowl last year and were twelve and four this year. So if they're if they really believe that people think they're not a good team, then that's just crazy. I, I mean, you can say maybe they're not the best yeah. team. That, okay, that's different. But no one believes in us. No one thinks we can do it. I, really? You went to the Super Bowl and you had 12 wins the following yeah, year. Like, no one doesn't think you're not a good that's team. That's separate, right? Their success is separate from people believing in them a bit. I will disagree with you slightly. When you do hear the national media talk about them, and I think it's in part because it's Cincinnati, they don't maybe speak about them with the same level of respect. Like if you think about how, think about how worked up people got over the, like the Jags even late in the season versus what the Bengals do. People get, pay far more attention to some other teams and they were five and a half point underdogs going into Buffalo, which, I mean, you can't judge how the general public view you based on betting lines and point spreads, but they were bigger underdogs in that than the Cowboys were. And I think the average person would say that there was a smaller gap between the Bengals and the Bills than there was between the Cowboys and the Niners based on what we'd seen in the regular season. But you and I both know that if they win this game today, they will continue to play this card that no one believed they would win this game, even though they are the favorite and over 80% of like the NFL pundits are all picking the Bengals here. They'll well, still play that same card. They're no, no longer favorites because with all the news that's come out and the video footage of Patrick Mahomes doing calisthenics and seemingly not being too affected by his high ankle sprain, the Chiefs are now is it even? Chiefs are now one point favorites. So, but still, if you if you do the home field advantage yeah. twist. Technically, Vegas thinks. But I wouldn't be surprised by the time this game kicks off. This could be Chiefs minus two, minus two and a half, based on the way it is moving. Because it originally opened, and I think Chiefs minus two and a half. Then all the Patrick Mahomes doubt came in, and then all of a sudden it was Bengals minus one and a half. It was Chiefs plus one. And then now I would I would expect this to get back to like two two and a half, maybe even three if people start to feel really confident about Patrick Mahomes. But 
the interesting yeah but i i was gonna say it's just finishing up on the the villain part of it i the other two things that work against the Bengals as a team is just individuals i mean one being eli apple who f- for as bad of a cornerback as he is he just will not shut up and it's it, it's to the point where like he lets up 150 yards a game and then he's the first one on twitter just ripping into players and eventually that's like the fact that you don't think that's going to come back to haunt you when if they lose this game regardless of how he plays every player in the nfl is going to be shouting him out and and then he's going to thrive off of that and go like that whole thing has made them look bad i think him personally and then the other side is you can never trust a player who has more than one nickname. So when you talk about Joe Burrow or Joe Burr or Joe Cool or Joe Shiesty or Joe Ice, it's like, forget it. Once you go over one nickname, it's, it's, it's a bad luck. That's it's a an villain interesting look. theory. <laughs> I, there'd probably be a few exceptions that I can think of, but for the most part, I do agree with you. And he needs to settle on one because if you just want to kind of build your image, you have to have the go-to nickname. I, yeah, I, I don't know. And it's also, I'll give you one more about Burrow is the, like, he has the thing that he does when he wins big games, which is for him is like smoking the cigar. That is a thing that angers me when someone has like the thing they always have to do after that. Where like, if, if Trevor Lawrence now went to a Waffle House every time he won a playoff game, which might be one more time trip to the Waffle House. But but like if that were the case, that would be annoying. He did it once and I thought that was funny and I thought that was cool, whatever. But if that's now his thing, that then it becomes annoying. So, <laughs> the Waffle House wouldn't bother me as much because you could tell me he was superstitious. Whereas the Joe Burrow cigar thing, because it's celebratory in nature, it just seems like an asshole move. Plus... We can just all admit, right? Cigars kind of suck. You know, like the only reason why you ever smoke a cigar is because you're at a wedding. But they yeah, look so cool, Eddie. They look so cool. That's a douchey cool. thing because deep down we all know it's not really an enjoyable ex- That's why you're not Eddie Cigar and he's yeah, Joe Cigar. Right. That's the only thing that stopped <laughs> it from happening. But, you know, that's the, that's the kind of the slight issue I take with it. But And the burrow head, as we mentioned before, just be, that they've the fact that the game was finishing against the Bills and you have Bengals players on the sidelines pointing to a camera and saying, now we're going to go to Burrowhead so that they're happy with, they're willing to, you know, talk about how, oh, well, we own Kansas City. Yeah, from your couple of matchups with them. Like, let's not get ahead of yourselves. This is not a, this is not Brady against the Jets. You can't go through like a 10-year period. He's, Burrow is 3-0 yeah, against and, Mahomes, and Eddie. Trevor, and Trevor Lawrence had never lost on a Saturday. You know, like there's there's a moment when <laughs> the statistics kind of don't matter anymore. If he wins this one, I'll give it to him. Then he has a real I kind of own you thing. Then it's a like, uh-oh, this is a real problem for the Chiefs. Because also, because we, we have to consider twice it's hard to tell the significance from the regular season games. Yes, they want to win them, but it's not as important. The playoff game last year, they were getting absolutely destroyed until the Chiefs had a minor meltdown in the red zone towards the end of the first half. And then 
Mahomes just had an inexplicable second half performance. Like the Beng- the Bengals can't walk off there being like, well, we just dominated that game. And that is also yeah. part of what bothers me. And, it's, and I get it. You're not going to tell yourselves as players like, well, we kind of scraped that one through guys, right? Pretty lucky. But yeah. the, the outward. I mean, and like they also kind of scraped through their last regular season yes. win against, against the Chiefs where the, the Chiefs were winning. And then you have a Kelsey fumble who rarely yeah. fumbles, you know, on a big play. And then the next one, they missed the field goal. So their last two drives where they lost a game by three points was a fumble past the 50-yard line yeah. and a missed field goal. You know, that's very unlike the Chiefs. Yeah, no, for sure. And so, I just uh, find it weird because and, it's obviously yeah. a team that kind of thrives off the bulletin board material. You know, the idea of, like, let's find people in the media who doubt us. Let's find other people in the league who doubt us. And then you're just fueling from the Chiefs' perspective. I don't think the Chiefs need motivation. It's I don't think teams in general need motivation going into a championship game or any playoff game. Like you know what's on the line. You don't need it's not like Travis Kelsey's gonna be like, Well, I really do hate Cincinnati. So I'm gonna play extra hard. But But I do think that he will go into this game now hearing this rhetoric of how since he owns the Chiefs and how it's Burrowhead and him knowing that his fumble, how rare it was, kind of played a role in that loss. That is not someone I want to step up to an extra level who just had 14 receptions the week before. (laughs) And you don't want Patrick Mahomes willing to go stick the extra injection in me and then saying, you're going to lose a toe, Patrick. And he just goes, fuck it. I'll lose a toe, but I got to win this game. (laughs) You know, like that's... If If only Sam were still on the podcast, he'd... It's to stick it to yeah. Burrow. That and extra one. <laughs> so, but now I think I, I, that's it. Just they should be playing the kind of lovable, lovable underdog card more, and they're not. They're flipping themselves into just despisable, hateable assholes. Oh no, they. they they're already they're already the villains to me. And it, you're right, it is a shame because if you take everything else about Joe, Joe Burrow away, I really like him as an NFL player. I like watching him. He's fun to watch. He's like when when you see him play, I really like the confidence he has when he plays. He like his accuracy is amazing. But then you put the rest of it and it's like, no, I don't I don't I don't want to deal with it anymore. And the same like Jamar Chase. I love Jamar Chase, but unfortunately he plays for the Bengals and I'm not, I'm not a bagel yeah, fan. And the gritty. <laughs> we need to retire the gritty. Like, it's just. What's well, more Justin Jefferson? He does it Jefferson. too, though, right? Like, just in general. I mean, a lot of NFL, 50% of the NFL does the gritty. But, like, we've. But Jefferson is, like. Yeah. The but gritty. at least he kind of <laughs> owns it as a celebration and made it his thing. But everyone else who does it, I just find a little tiresome. But I. Yeah, I just, it's a shame. And you know, the other thing to factor in, the Bengals have kind of been dislikable for a while, pre-Burrow. I mean, you think back to when they used to be consistently in the playoffs with Andy Dalton. And, you know, every year you'd have them just trying to knock every Steelers' heads off, you know. And you obviously had the, you know, Burfecht was kind of the, the leader of that approach. But they've kind of always been assholes. And they've just continued this under a new regime and a new era, but way more talented. And, and that's 
it's just a shame. Yeah. Let me give you let me give you two record statistics. Tell me if either of these worry you, Eddie. Burrow in games under 40 degrees is 8-0. It's supposed to be cold and possibly snow in KC. No, that doesn't Does the Joe Burr make you nervous? No, because I'd imagine that Patrick Mahomes' record is also pretty good in cold conditions. Admittedly, a lot of the times he would have been a home heavy favorite for those, but I, I still wouldn't be. I doubt it's. And Patrick Mahomes has never won a game in conditions under forty degrees. You know, so I think this is this is okay. Patrick Mahomes' worst five games of his career are in temperatures played below forty degrees. I'm not even joking. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I mean, how about this one then? How about this one? Andy Reid, three and six in conference championship games. Does that slightly Andy worry Reed you? Andy Reid worries me a little bit because he obviously was able to dispel the Andy Reid, you know, would always come short concept a couple of years ago in the Super Bowl. But he has it in him to blow games in the second half, to blow leads, weird clock management, you know, weird play calling. And just the talent of Mahomes and the players around him had sort of overcome the Andy Reid element. And that's Andy Reid's an incredible coach. And what he does on that offense is, you know, super impressive. So it's not as if I'm saying, well, they're only winning because, you know, Andy Reid is an integral part of the Kansas City Chiefs' success. It's just he had at the Eagles and at the, his, the early part of his time in Kansas City often managed to get in his own way and you know, snatch defeat from the jaws of victory through incompetence, even when he was having a great game up until that point. It worries me, but then I don't know if on the other side we're looking at a a team that I have total confidence in in terms of their own play calling and time management and all of those other elements. So now the Andy Andy Reid element is is mostly a positive for me, and there's a guy. I don't think Andy Reid gets super worked up over a lot of stuff, but I bet there is a guy who is extra motivated to shove this, the idea that the Bengals own him down their throats. Like if, if he's going to have something special, some original play calling up his sleeve here to try and not only win the game, but to be like, I kind of embarrassed you there with my little bit of genius that you weren't able to stop. (laughs) <laughs> and then when he wins he's gonna say joe burrow you can keep this cigar because i'm gonna pound this double cheeseburger in your face <laughs> oh yeah he's definitely eating a cheeseburger we know that yeah. it's 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 a tough matchup and it's a tough matchup to predict because i think if you look at all the statistics and the advanced metrics the Bengals are a favorite there in most of those um you know, especially too with the like we said, they they have beaten them this year, whether they deserve to be the winning team or not in that game. But the issue obviously is Mahomes and his injury. And indications are he feels great, no limp, practiced very well today, wasn't noticeably like lingering any issues, but it's practice. And even if it was an issue, he's not, he's never going to well, say that. So it's not until he gets on the field on Sunday and has his first pressure and needs to do some crazy Mahomes thing 
that we see well, how it is. So there were two key pieces of footage that came out. One was of him in the training session. There he looked perfectly fine, basically. And the fact that he was involved to the degree in which he was shows you that even from like the medical trainer standpoint, they're not too concerned. You know, that's because they wouldn't they they wouldn't just be sending him out there for a, like a PR stunt. You know, they're not going to be that dumb to risk it. However, they there was also that footage of him leaving the podium from like a press conference. There you saw he was walking a little gin. When he had two players carry him off. No, but he, he was walk. definitely walking a little gingerly. <laughs> you could tell there. That's the kind of sign where if you know if I'd seen you walk into a bar like that, I would have immediately said, "What'd you do to your leg?" You know, there would have been no doubt and you about it it wouldn't have been oh my god you must be really hurt but there would have definitely been you you clearly hurt yourself so there's i don't know i think i said on the last episode that i was going to pick the bengals because of this patrick mahomes injury and over the course of the last 48 hours i think i've changed my mind you've talked yourself out I of it i think i've said to my, <laughs> i think i've decided that i can live with myself for picking against the Bengals and then watching Mahomes struggle because he's injured or just watching the Bengals be better. But if I pick the Bengals and then the Chiefs look really good, when I've thought all year the Chiefs were the best team in football, when I think Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league, when I think Travis Kelsey is one of the most unstoppable weapons in the league, if all if I watch that work well, and I've taken the Bengals, it's going to be a difficult pill to swallow. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And I guess one of the issues, if he is injured, then you're looking at, is he going to get hit? Is he going to get sacked? Kansas City, in terms of an offensive line, has in the top three category of least sacks allowed. And when you combine the fact that Mahomes against the Blitz has about 110 QB rating this year, which like 120 is perfect. Uh, he's very good against the blitz and he's not afraid to get the ball out quick. So you hope that he doesn't get hit and doesn't re-aggravate something. The worry there against those stats is the last time they played this season, the um, the Bengals actually got to him twice. They had two sacks and eight pressures. So put some pretty good pressure on him. We'll see how that happens and whether – Kansas City early on tries to keep a running back in to have some extra protection for him or if you know they kind of do what they normally do and have that uh, running back go out as like a last outlet option for Mahomes that's that's going to be something I think to see that'll be an indication of how confident they are Mahomes do they play their normal offense or do they keep a little extra to try and protect them I think you'll be able to see that early on but I completely agree I I can't go against Mahomes just because he might be injured. I'd rather go with Mahomes and and lose with guns blazing cuz even if he is injured, you know he's going to push it to the max. And I'd at least I think even as a as a story that feels better and I feel better about myself betting that knowing that he's going to give you know us the, all um, against But you know the thing the that worries me with that approach though is the Super Bowl against Tampa Bay. Because that was almost a similar thought process. Of like, actually, I think this Tampa Bay defense is a really bad matchup for the Chiefs. Fundamentally, Tampa Bay might be a better team. It's just kind of giving the Chiefs the edge on the aura almost. 
and then you watch the game unfold and they were demolished. And that is my that is the that is the game that sticks in my mind from the how badly could this go? Like I don't think the Chiefs can demolish the Bengals. But I think we could see like Bengals 35, Chiefs 10 here because Mahomes is limited and just things don't work for them. But I don't think we'll see the reverse scoreline. I think we could see like, you know, Chiefs 35, Bengals 25. And that's maybe sometimes, you know, I don't know, you can do all sorts of mental gymnastics here in terms of how you pick one team or the other, I think in both games. But maybe sometimes the argument would be made, who should you pick? I could see the Eagles beating the Niners by 15 points. I don't think I could see the Niners beating the Eagles by 15 points. And I could see the Bengals beating the Chiefs by 15 points, but I don't think I could see the reverse. So maybe you should just pick Eagles-Bengals on that basis. Maybe that's the thing that should determine it. But yeah, I don't... I'm going to I'm going to go Well, Eddie, I mean you also got to remember you have Chad Henney as the backup who I still like it blows my mind that Chad Henney is still in the NFL. First off, he's 37 years old, but just I I I remember when I was so young the whole thing about Chad Henney and how he was going to like play for the Yankees and he's like this the like the next Bo Jackson, he could be, you know, in the NFL and on the Yankees and this and that and that feels like well, decades ago yeah, it and it two actually decades was ago. decades ago <laughs> but it's crazy to think that he's still like he's still playing as just a backup like that is impressive to be in the nfl that long i don't know there's backup. lots of players who pull it off right i think the sweetest gig in the world is just being that career quarterback backup like once people just accept that you're like a good locker room guy that maybe you can come in and help young quarterbacks or whatever through the idea of well he knows how to you know that to be a real professional and you just turn up, don't get unhappy when you never play, pick up the three, four million dollars a year. I think what a dream. I, I, I have to say, Eddie, just to uh, appease friend of the podcast, Tim, even though he probably won't listen, you can tell him that I said this. I think Tim, it should be Tim is known. officially, he's not friend of the podcast, he's friend. Okay. Because he never he never listens to the podcast. So Okay. So friend Tim, you could tell him I said this because he he would want me to make mention that Chad Henney went to Wilson High School in Pennsylvania and he broke all of the state and Wilson High School passing records that were set previously. I thought by you were Kerry gonna Collins, say who by also Tim went Swartz. to the same high school. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I would. I want next time you see Tim, you go ask him what he knows about Chad Henney, and I guarantee you, he tells you he went to Wilson High School and broke all of Kerry Collins' Pennsylvania records. That's a Tim fact. (laughs) That's a Tim. Probably next time I see him is the Super Bowl. So yeah, well, I'll bring it up, and and maybe Chad Henney will be playing in it. Uh, Yeah, Uh, yeah, but it's. I don't know. It's it's a great combination of games. Feels like the best sort of combined NFC AFC championship that we had in a while, and you can call each one of them. You can put any combination in of the four teams, and I think it's hard to say you're you're wrong one way or the other. 
which I guess it could say then if you're still trying to do any kind of Super Bowl futures. So currently the Eagles are are uh, favorites to win the Super Bowl, 12 to 5, Chiefs 5. Yeah. I think they said it's the, the closest ever uh, from first to fourth in, in like since like 1980. Yeah, because typically like at that. this point, you'd have one of the teams be like even money because they'd be. Well, and also like. A very well, no. big underdog. Like last year, the Bengals well, were yeah, nine to once one. Once you put one of them at even money, whoever they're playing in this round has to be a pretty big underdog. But yeah, usually you'd have to, one team around even money. So to have the favorites at twelve to five, you, I mean, you can you can basically say you get value in almost all of them. From certainly in the Eagles and the Chiefs, I think you get value in picking them now to win the Super Bowl over waiting. Because the Chiefs probably are favorites against either the Eagles or the Niners. You'd think. And so getting them at 5-2 to two now is definitely value. The Eagles would be favorites against the Bengals, I think. So you're, you're probably getting value in them at 12-5. to five. Unless you get the game that you think might happen with a 35-10 thromping yeah. of the Chiefs. Yeah, there's... And then the Niners, 16 to 5, so just over 3 to 1. And I want to make note, although you might be scared that Mahomes, some of his worst games are in cold weather, this season he has two cold weather games and he has a QB rating of 119.5, which is literally who, near perfect. So maybe he shook off the cold weather who, who book <laughs> Okay. I do not know that. Because, <laughs> yeah, this is always this. But, yeah, it's – no, it should be good. I'm not the Elias Sports Bureau well, here. I'm doing my best. the statistics. <laughs> I expect you to have complete statistics. <laughs> Those are, like, the statistics that they don't have that you actually have to, like, make yourself. That's how detailed There's a statistic that I wanted to make kind of transitioning away from the NFL, I guess, a little bit. A statistic I want to try and make for myself, and I haven't actually looked this up to see if a similar statistic exists, I have to admit, but it came up with former co-host Sam. We were talking about Liverpool's woes a couple of weeks ago, and the argument, you know, I said to him, there can be no surprises when it comes to their struggles in midfield. It's not like the age of, you know, Henderson and Milner has snuck up on them, particularly Milner, who is still relatively heavily involved. And then I thought to myself, you know, James Miller made his debut, I think, in 2002. So I think he's now going on two decades in the Premier League. And when you look up the team, like when you look at the teams from when he made his debut, it's it's astounding just in terms of, you know, you have players who then made their debuts in the 80s. So you can kind of go way back in history tracking James Milner's career. And there was that stat right with Shaq okay. about, you know, I can't remember exactly how far back it was that Shaq had played with the NBA winner, like a a winner of the NBA title. Like Yeah. For like the last like eighteen No, it's yeah. like way more than that. It's like twenty five yeah. or something, wasn't it? Back to the eighties, I think, pretty much. And James Milner, I would say, has certainly played with or against someone who's won the Premier League for the entire history of the league. She's only going back to 1992, but I would imagine, and I, I can't think that there's another player who would hold that record, although there might be some players who've retired in the last sort of six or seven years who 
just because of the fact that it's only City and Liverpool who you would have needed to have won the league. They've had a player in it. But, I mean, he's... You know, it's pretty interesting to think of how far back his, his career basically goes. So just to clarify, the Shaq stat is um, 37 straight NBA finals with a teammate of okay. Shaq in it. Yeah. I mean, at this point, right, he's just holding on to LeBron James. Or, or did it end? Yeah, so once it's LeBron ended. didn't make the finals... It yeah, ended last LeBron year. Didn't make it. That was his only... He just got lucky that he won and played that brief time, that had that brief stint in Cleveland and kind of yeah. bumped himself up by another like nine years with LeBron. Yeah, I guess that's not too much to discuss from a European football perspective. It's FA Cup weekend in England, so the Premier League drama takes a, a brief pause. Although City do play Arsenal tomorrow in the FA Cup, well, Friday, Friday night, yeah. depending on when you listen to this episode. But yeah, it's uh, there's a s- small hiatus before hostilities resume in the league. So I don't know, aside from that, any stories caught your eye from either the world of sport or entertainment over the past few days well eddie actually a uh a yahoo somehow this is in yahoo finance <laughs> but if you're ever wondering what hell is like there's a guy who says he had a heart attack and went to hell in 2016 and he waited he waited Let seven. to clarify it's and a he waited priest seven years to tell us so first off what's what's wrong with this priest that he went to hell oh, that's a good question <laughs> maybe the priest should be uh thinking about it a little more um but no he well he's just telling people now because he just took to tiktok so he was waiting for tiktok okay. to become popular before he could go the out and tell a story <laughs> yeah he went to hell to talk about hell he said he would not wish it on his worst enemy i don't care what he did to me no one deserves that so he said his spirit left his physical body and he entered hell through the very center of earth. The things he saw there were undescribable, yet he's going to describe them. I love when people say that. <laughs> One of my favorite things. He said he saw a man walking on all fours like a dog and getting burned from head to toe. His eyes were bulging, and worse than that, he was wearing chains on his neck. He was like a hellhound. There was a demon holding the chains. The worst part, he says was that there was music constantly playing in hell, including Rihanna's Umbrella and Don't Worry, Be Happy. <laughs> they were, there were demons singing these songs to torture people relentlessly. <laughs> and that's when he came back to life. <laughs> what a slight on Rihanna. Who <laughs> we can we can relate this to the NFL because she's doing the NFL Super Bowl halftime show. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean any song on constant repeat would drive you insane, right? So he could have said anything. Like I don't Umbrella doesn't I still quite like Umbrella. It brings back pretty fond memories of for me because when it came out I do. When it came out was like a really great time. You know, that's prime college years, big hit. So Yeah. Maybe the Ella, Ella, Ella for the 5,000th time maybe I just, just gets to you. just any song. <laughs> you know, like you can, you can imagine any song. And then if you think 
if I had to hear this days on end, how much would it annoy me? And I think pretty much everything would. Yeah. Don't don't worry, be happy, I think would be pretty quickly. Yeah, about the third time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Midway. Especially with the hellhounds. Yeah. Midway through the around. first, you'd already probably have had enough of it. That's typically how I feel when I'm in a bar and it comes on. Especially as it then starts. It, it, often if you hear it in a bar, that means it's part of some like popular reggae playlist. And that's usually bad news. <laughs> but... How how quickly does Wonderwall become brutal? Six or seven. It's okay. Yeah, I'd say the average song is probably about the tenth play in quick succession that you would be slightly driven insane by it. Do you think part of the insanity is then you just start singing it and you're going along with well, it? I think that happens later. You know, I, th- I think. <laughs> How long to hell does I mean, that happen? <laughs> when you're in Paris, I mean, we go to a bar where they routinely play the same songs five times in a night. That can. One of them is yeah, insane. And that can, <laughs> by the fifth time in about three hours, it can put you in an interesting mental state. So maybe I've been. Wait, is it in sync or Backstreet Boys? Backstreet Boys primarily, but, and a number of others, Britney okay. Spears. Uh, oddly enough, uh, a Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus is another one of them. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so maybe I've been to hell. And the hell is a very specific bar in Paris. Well, it kind of makes sense because maybe some Buffalo Bill fans then were in that hell when they lost their game. <laughs> yeah, it was in a unique atmosphere. There were no Bengals fans there. I'll put it that way. On that night. But yeah, I got to experience the most... The most outraged football fan I'd come into sort of to had the opportunity to interact with in a long time. Just the pure rage in him as that Bill's game fell apart was incredible. With the kind of cherry on the top of the cake was when he said that screamed, this organization sucks my fucking dick. I think that's when <laughs> that's when he really that was a it was like poetry. It blows my mind because here's like a team that for so long was so bad. I mean, they had their spell in the 90s where they were good and then suffered and then now have gotten back to a very for high context. caliber level. Like it's not as if this was like the first season they've ever done well and they blew it. You know, they've been pretty decent now. For no, a few but I will years. say in his defense, he was probably 60 and he was from Buffalo. So he's, he's lived through the heartache, right? I would have felt. I mean, that's his issue. He's just <laughs> lives in or is from Buffalo. That, that God. must just suck. <laughs> uh, but you know, there's, cause it, it's an interesting climate here with the French NFL fans who sometimes can be so disheartened by results. And I struggle to understand how you could have randomly picked a team to like two or three seasons ago. And it's having that much of an emotional impact on you when you're, you know, 30 years old. Like I don't, to me, loving a sports team is so irrational that if you didn't do it, 
if you didn't develop that attachment early in your life, it's hard for me to understand how you ever develop it. Like I couldn't at this moment in time develop a real emotional attachment to a, like a professional sports team. I could move to a country and kind of embrace a team and, and like them a bit. But if they lost, it would be like, oh, oh well, lost that game. That kind of sucks, huh? Move on to the next one. There's next season. Yeah. To actually have it emotionally imp. Well, maybe for that guy, there's not. <laughs> well, it's possible. But to actually have it. I mean, there were some Vikings fans that I saw after they lost to the Giants. Some of whom were just French guys who'd chosen the Vikings, which is an interesting choice. And they were getting respect from Vikings fans from Minnesota who they flipped that. Like they took the opposite approach to me, which was we were born into this. These guys actively chose it. That's so much worse. But (laughs) from my perspective, it's like, yeah, this guy, probably the first NFL game he saw was the Minnesota Vikings against someone. And so he became a Vikings fan when he was 27. I don't know how like that shouldn't, you should want them to win, and I can get being a bit disappointed, but you shouldn't be sitting in a bar two hours after the game, literally treating it as if there was like a death in your family. Now, I did watch one of the most confusing movies I've watched this year, this week. I watched Everything Everywhere. I watched All White Once. Noise on Netflix. Oh yeah, I've heard. I've heard it's a little weird. My. <laughs> I felt like I followed it and I still not really sure what it's about. Like, I'm not sure what percentage of it was real or imagined in within the movie, or if it's supposed to be a parable for something. I, I don't really, I didn't dislike it, but it's as if someone, I mean, I know it's based on a novel, but it's as if someone went out of their way to create one of the more confusing movies you'll just ever watch. Like, there's multiple plot lines. It's hard to tell which one's the most relevant. There's, you know, there's just, there's kind of no conclusion in a sense to a lot of them. It's bizarre. I, I could semi-recommend it, but it's it's weird. Yeah, directed by Noah Baumbach, the same guy who directed uh, Marriage Story, the other Netflix movie that is quite depressing. And this one has some similarities. <laughs> this has some cheating involved in it so you have some marriage troubles but and obviously also both movies have adam driver so they have that in common as well but yeah it's it's weird it's it falls into the category of weirdness where if if someone told me this was their favorite movie i would judge them harshly for it i don't have a problem with someone liking this movie but it goes back to the kind of Wes Anderson concept where if this is what you told me was your favorite movie. I'd feel like you were trying to portray certain things through your movie choice. And that would bother me. Yeah, it was actually uh, some people said it was snubbed by the Oscars. It didn't. I don't think it received any nominations. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I don't know what aside from if there's an Oscar for most confusing film of the year. I don't know which Oscar it's going to possibly win. What did get nominated, though, Eddie, was uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah, which yeah, which I enjoyed uh, and, and I think should win some Oscars for just the 
you know, from a cinematography standpoint, is so beautifully shot. And I'm sure from the, the kind of uh, like all the uniforms and things that they use. So from, from that perspective, it's super impressive. But, and yeah, it's, I doubt any, I, I don't know all of the uh, Oscar nominations it received, but I'm sure it will pick up something. Received, I think, like seven or nine nominations. It's quite yeah. a lot. Still, still baffles me that they went away from the book so much. But aside from that, and I guess briefly going back to the sports, just as a final topic, maybe it's worth m- us just mentioning that uh, it appears as if Noah Djokovic is just steamrolling his way to <laughs> another Australian Open which I think it will be his 10th and to another grand slam victory. And the dominance that he is displaying. Now the tennis season is long injuries happen form dips with just how far ahead he seems to be of pretty much everyone else. If you're him, you have to be realistically thinking you've got a chance to win every major like if if yeah nadal is not a hundred percent going into roland garros i was gonna say your biggest worry is your yeah. french open with nadal but if nadal is is still hurt and not at a hundred percent and might you'll have him. you know alvarez on his preferred surface and some other clay court specialists who present a little bit more of a challenge for djokovic than he gets on hard court or on grass at Wimbledon. But certainly when you just see how far ahead of every everyone he is on this surface, I mean, he, you, you can definitely pencil him in for two Grand Slams this year, this one, and at least one more. It'd be hard to see how he loses either Wimbledon or the U.S. Open if he's able to kind of even reasonably maintain this form. It's just... I, and his... He's also becoming a little bit more ruthless in his press conferences and stuff. I don't know if you saw after he beat Alex de Menor, just ripped him apart in three sets. And he was asked on court afterwards, like, you know, you've got this Alex de Menor being from Australia. He said, you know, you turn up, it's, it's the night match. And don't you feel a little bit bad? Like, why did you do that when you disappoint the home crowd who've been used to seeing these late night games, these four setters, five setters drag on? You know, why did you do it? And he just said, because I can. He said, fuck oh, I said, because I can, <laughs> which I think is it's nice. even more demoralizing from for his opponents. And then at that point, he also said, because he was playing Rublev in the next round, he said, well, there's also similarities between the way Demonor and Rublev play. So, you know, I think I can do something similar against Rublev. And proceeded to take him apart in three sets as well. So it's uh, <laughs> Sitsipas, it's probably the only person who maybe stands in his way at this point. I don't think Hatchinov stands too much of a chance if he makes the final, but yeah. Do you think it's because everyone else has gotten the COVID vaccine and it's causing issues with their body versus Djokovic <laughs> is not? And that's why he's at a superior I'm level. I'm sure there's physically? people out there who think that. Just like Hamlin doesn't is dead, right? That other anti-vaxxer theory that's going around. I mean, yep. people are insane in terms of what they are willing to believe as part of conspiracy theories. Sometimes, 
I also like that there's a larger part of that Hamlin conspiracy theory that is three, the Bill's COO got sick and then was replaced pretty quickly. And then someone else on their team died, some executive or something. And it's, there's this larger Bill's anti-vax conspiracy theory as if like the Illuminati have zeroed in on the Buffalo Bills for some reason as being like <laughs> the new world order is dependent on the Buffalo Bills being controlled. Like the only thing that can stop us from taking over the world is Josh Allen. If he wins a Super Bowl, we'll not be able to hold them back. The Bills mafia will stop us. <laughs> That's pretty good. I did not see that th- deep of the conspiracy I, theory. A little bit of Reddit, Reddit digging. I mean, Reddit can take you to some weird. Reddit's got can everything. Take you to some weird places and. I mean, it's crazy because when you go into those conversations, either on Reddit or Twitter, some of them are obviously bots. Some of them are trolls. So you can throw out like 70 to 80% of the comments as either being fake or disingenuous. But then there's the 20 to 30% who you know are real. And there's so many of them of people literally just buying into the conspiracy theories, hook, line, and sinker. And I... As with like conspiracy theories on this level, it's like, why would anyone do this? Like, what's if Hamlin had died, why would why would they be pretending that he was alive? I don't, I don't see who gains really anything from it. You know, like <laughs> it's the thing that confuses me about a lot of conspiracy theories. So is it? it what's like? Are they saying it's not really Hamlin that has yeah, been showing said, up? Because you haven't really seen his face clearly because he was like in a hood and he was in sunglasses and he was only briefly shown and often he was filmed from behind. So it's just like a random guy of a similar like height and shape who's there. And, and so they I believe that it's just a body double and that actually he died. And I, for the life of me, I can't understand why they fake it the only argument i guess is maybe that the nfl felt like if the if a player had actually died that maybe they have to postpone the season for longer like there's a kind of mourning period perhaps but if you really think roger goodell is like masterminding some doppelganger conspiracy theory and everyone else is buying into it because he's seeing other people he turned up at the stadium like he's seeing other people so everyone else is having to either don't know him well enough to recognize him or just uh, Roger says, we've got to pretend. It's so great. I just love the fact that cold weather has fueled the conspiracy theory because he was wearing yeah. like a hoodie. <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy. And, and, and I also just like it as if for that anti-vax perspective, as if this would have been the tipping point. Like if he, if, if an NFL player had died, from and something that could have been explained without having to bring the vaccine into it, that this would have been the thing people would have been like, oh my God, they've just been injecting us with poison. Now I see it. So uh, <laughs> a far-right media personality, Stu Peters, his, these were his comments about Hamlin at the Buffalo game. He said, CPR, broken ribs. How is he waving his arms around like that? (laughs) Next one. This man looked ready to play in that game on Sunday. Next one. Never took his hood down, shades off, or lowered mask. 
<laughs> Next one. Why didn't the NFL give a stage to DeMar Hamlin for his miraculous quotes return to the stadium? Because yeah, I think that's the thing. After you've had cardiac arrest and been in a coma, the thing you really want to do is stride out onto the field in freezing conditions to wave to some fans. That's that's what the that's what the doctors order. Yeah, it's just some conspiracy, and it's it's representative, right, of a larger problem in our society in terms of the general level of skepticism, skepticism, and where people think internet research can replace real expertise. So it's worrying that so many people can buy into these types of theories, but they're just ones like this are so outlandish and in an isolated sense don't meaningless like, yeah that it's don't just make, laughable yeah. but you also know that every single person who believes this conspiracy theory believes some far more dangerous conspiracy theories like this is not the one conspiracy theory you've bought into no which is the other don't worry though josh allen said there's absolutely zero chance this oh, is great. true <laughs> he said stop that shit is that what he said <laughs> Nice. Yeah. But and because this is also the thing that I like too. It's like I like conspiracy theory that conspiracy theory people are like, you're a conspiracy theorist. So it's not that you do find the one or two theories that you think maybe. It's like, no, 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 across the board, everything's a conspiracy. Like I'm 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 in it. I'm in it for the the love of the game almost. As soon as you tell me what a cons you tell me a conspiracy theory. Uh, like we, we could probably, yeah. And you know, what fuels it too is like, if you have 50 conspiracy theories, there's probably one or two, um, not that they're right, but that Some, there was like yeah. something was inaccurately like stated. So they'll have to like backtrack a statement that doesn't still make the conspiracy true, but just changes like one of the things like I told you, see, I told you. And that's yeah. just one of them. That's just yeah. one well, of like them. The, <laughs> you know, it's like the moon <laughs> where they acknowledge that for the press, they used some staged photos because they kind of had to. And then people are like, well, they staged it all. See, they're admitting they staged some of it, must have staged it all. It's like, no, 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 you've made a massive leap there, like against evidence that can be proven. But I love that we've never been to the moon because the moon landing was fake. And then people are just like, but what about the other seven yeah, missions? People ignore it. The moon? It's like yeah. my favorite As if thing. we just went once and then, yeah, that was it. But I mean, maybe we should try and start a conspiracy theory surrounding the podcast in an attempt. We could really explode. I mean, we could come up with some, something, you know, Sam disappeared. Sorry, six six missions to the moon. Okay. Oh, that. oh, that. that's gonna fuel the conspiracy theorists. <laughs> See, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I saw. Um, who was it? Was it Buzz Aldrin that just got married, remarried? One of the original. Uh... Buzz Aldrin's been dead for thirty five years. <laughs> no, well, what are the... <laughs> Buzz Lightyear? You're thinking of. There was a there was a Pixar short. Yes, Buzz yeah, Aldrin just got ago, married. His on his on his ninety third birthday. Looks good for ninety three. Yeah. You know why? Because he, he looks good for ninety three, Eddie. Because he yeah, never he went to the moon. Replaced. We're gonna be <laughs> we're gonna be in our seventies, and it'll be like Buzz Aldrin, a hundred and forty two. It's like still going. It's that moon radiation keeping him young, or he's just it's like you're. 
childhood pet where your parents are too disappointed to like to tell you that you died that it died so just replacing it overnight so he married a 63 year old woman at that point is 30 years still kind of strange there's a radical difference between being 63 and 93 especially nowadays right like back in the 20 30 years ago you would have said oh well 63 year olds are old but like nowadays when you're in your 60s you're uh, still sort of that's like a like i just i love like like bring it down that's like a 63 year old marrying a 33 year old i actually i that's that's pretty I crazy find that less off-putting than the because i think that's a 43 year old marrying a 13 year old <laughs> even less off-putting <laughs> But like, uh, no, I find the, I don't know, the idea of, now they've been together for a long time, so it changes the dynamic. You've accepted that the person you're with is aging and you accept the, you know, the, uh, the kind of what happens as you age. But when you're, si- when you're in your 60s being with someone in their 90s, like, I don't know, that would be. That would be a difficult one. That means she was not even 10 years old when he walked on the moon. <laughs> At least she was born <laughs> for his greatest achievement, for the thing yeah. that makes him, like, defines his life. She was at least born, probably watched it on TV, as did most of the world at that time, right? So it, that's when she first became attracted to him. <laughs> first so time she saw him on with television. The, with a mask on, with a helmet on. When he was when he was being directed by yeah. Stanley Kubrick, <laughs> she, she caught the like bungee cord and loved them in that movie called The Moon Landing. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it'd be tough. That'd be tough. I don't think I could do that, but like I think I could, I think I could more easily enter into a relationship right now with someone in their sixties. Then I could enter into a relation when I'm 60, enter into a relationship with someone in their 90s. He was married with someone before his current wife was even born. <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough stat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, shame we're not. This is where Sam might excel because Sam has always had a, a soft spot for younger men. So. He could have really weighed in on this topic. I mean, what are you realistically looking at here in terms of like a married life? Five more years? Seven years? Gets to 100? Do you realist like is, is 100 a realistic? I, I think when view? you're 90, <laughs> I think when you're 93, you're probably not looking too far into the future at any point. But. He seemingly is pretty healthy, right? I guess if you're 93 and everything's going well, you you probably got an eye on 100, especially if you've been to the fucking moon. I mean, let's not let's look. You got to throw that in as a factor. You've been to the moon, so you're going to be pretty confident that you can achieve some pretty incredible things. I, I yeah, I think you'd have if I make it to 93 and I'm you know, fully compass mantis moving around. 
by myself, able to completely take care of myself, I'd be, I'm setting my sights on a hundred. I guess the question would be at what age do you start to think a hundred is viable and B that you want to get to a hundred. I, I think I have to say what I think is crazier about this story. Now that I'm digging a little deeper into this, he divorced someone else 10 years ago. Who at age He's 83 is like, fuck it. I've got enough of this I'm not spending the last year and a half of my life. I'd rather die in a, during a difficult divorce than just sleep in a different bedroom. I mean, that the stats on that have to be so low. The percentage of people getting divorced above Maybe, age 80 must I be so I think you so also low. see those people who get really old, right? not you know but get you get older and then you decide you know what screw it i'm this old why am i putting up with anything in my life that i don't like that i don't like you know you see it's like when you see people who've been married for 50 years and then they get divorced and part of you thinks to yourself why but then i guess the other the flip of that is you get to a point where you're like well i've got a few years left why am i going to waste them pretending that i like this person but at age 80, is it? Do you, don't you think like the effort plays into it? It's like, ah, but it's really just I guess not it depends on how miserable they make you. <laughs> like, but they'd have, have to be making me pretty miserable. It would be. And for his children, that's a tough one to like see her. His children, his grandchildren, or his great grandchildren? Because he has many. It would of be them. a tough, you know, you. Neither of us are children of divorced parents, right? So we've never had to go through the process of like meeting the new boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. Like, and it's difficult to imagine as a child of a non-divorced couple. Like, I know if there'll be people listening where that's just something they got used to. When you, when you haven't been through it, it's like it's impossible for me to imagine at this point the idea of like one of my parents introducing me to like someone new that would just be I couldn't live with it almost so to imagine having it happen when they're in their 80s and then the kind of grosser thoughts that would be going through your mind at the same time I just wouldn't want any part of it I don't know for sure but I'm also going to say he has 3 children they are very likely about the same age as his current wife. Some are probably yeah, older. They could be older. They could easily be. Because, so his first marriage was in 54. Uh, so then. And he has three kids and they divorced in 74. Yeah. So they would have been probably born mid to late fifties. So they're in late sixties. Probably. So they're probably older than her. Yeah. If nothing else, they're, Maybe they just wanted They're another same generation. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I had a I knew someone who was uh, whose dad had remarried, and she was older than her aunt, which is a weird one to try and like wrap your head around. Ooh, tough beat. One of the. Uh... Oh no! Never mind. Okay, try. <laughs> This is fascinating to me. This is the movie they should make. <laughs> Just 
Buzz Aldrin's later life. Like we could pitch the movie. We're going to make yeah. a movie about Buzz Aldrin. Like, oh, like training, like becoming a pilot, training for the moon landing, going to the moon. No, 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 no. This is... Ex- no, deciding to divorce his wife at age This is exclusively Buzz Aldrin's life post-75. This is... This is it. <laughs> We couldn't afford the we couldn't That's afford the rights to his marriage story yeah. too. Can Adam Driver play Buzz Aldrin? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Adam Driver, we want you to play Buzz Aldrin. Oh, awesome! As a seventy-five-year-old Buzz Aldrin. <laughs> yeah, man, we have so many good movie ideas on here. All right, any Neil Armstrong news? Isn't he dead? And I assume Michael Collins. Who is the other guy is dead. But Michael Collins is just like the consistently forgotten one in that mission. And maybe he's still alive and kicking and still overlooked. But I'm pretty sure Michael Collins is dead. Well, we can bring it full circle with the movies, Eddie, because uh, did you see the movie First Man, the Neil Armstrong movie with Ryan Gosling? I did, yes. Yeah. Damon Chazelle directed that he also directed la la land which won best picture and also recently directed babylon which many people think is great and many people think it's the worst movie ever well we'll (laughs) get him to direct buzz aldrin 75 there you go as an up michael collins only died in 2021 i'm sure that was in the news but oh he was trying to hold out to be buzz aldrin's (laughs) best man at his fourth wedding (laughs) Uh, it's a shame he didn't follow the buzz aldrin path i can see he had he was married in 1957 to 2014 and i'm going to assume that's when the overlooked member of the apollo 11 mission was the homely wholesome guy you could trust with your wife buzz aldrin out there just being scandalous (laughs) right until he croaks he gets all the attention (laughs) All right. Well, I guess with that, we'll uh, wrap it up and call it a day. See you